Good Monday morning. Welcome to Connect, the California MBA's weekly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. I'm Dustin Hobbs, Communications Director here at the California MBA, and it's February. So uh, each month in 2021, we are going to be doing a uh, sort of a different theme for the podcast here. And so for February, we're going to focus on commercial real estate. It's one of those uh, sectors of the industry we focus so much here at the California MBA, it seems, on residential issues that uh, we may you know, sort of leave the commercial, uh, commercial folks off to the side a bit at times. So we want to make sure that uh, we focus on their issues and uh, um, their people and uh, make sure we get their stories in our podcast as well. So in February, we're going to focus solely on commercial real estate. And uh, we've got some great speakers lined up, and I hope you stick around and uh, listen to us this month. So today, let's uh, jump into the conversation here in just a minute. Uh, but before we do that, I want to thank our sponsors over at Incelerate. So if you're looking to close more loans in 2021, in which if you're listening to this podcast, again, that should be everybody, um, you want to experience Incelerate's award-winning customer engagement platform that features lead management, CRM, call routing, sales enablement, marketing automation, borrower engagement, and data intelligence through innovative use of multi-channel marketing, which includes text, social media, email, direct mail, phone, ringless voicemail, retargeting, and much more. So Incelerate, Bottom line, helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. And if you want to schedule your personal demo, make sure and go to Incelerate.com and you can check that out. And then on a personal note, I mean, obviously, we know Incelerate very well at this point. We've been talking about them on the podcast here for quite a while. Um, if you want to catch them in uh, on social media, make sure and check out uh, Josh Friend's uh, profile on LinkedIn. Josh puts out a lot of great uh, content there. And so I highly recommend that everyone uh, follow him on LinkedIn and uh, keep an eye on what uh, what he's putting out. There's a lot of great stuff there. So before we jump into the conversation with today's guest, I want to toss it over to Susan Malazzo, our CEO for this week's weekly update. Susan. Thanks, Dustin. Hi, this is Susan with the California MBA here with your weekly update. So the legislative session started a few weeks ago here in California, and there is one bill that I'd like to mention today that relates to commercial lending. Uh, AB 255 has been introduced. Uh, It's just an intent bill right now, so there's not a lot of substantive language quite yet, but it is the intent of the legislature to enact some rent relief provisions for small business owners experiencing loss during uh, the pandemic. Uh, We are monitoring this bill to ensure that some of the same problematic provisions that were included in SB 939 from last year, as you might recall, among other things, included a temporary moratorium on commercial property evictions. Just making sure that this uh, uh, monitoring provisions of this bill as they're added to make sure some of that same language isn't included. The legislature has given an indication that they are looking for legislative solutions this year to help small business owners um, during the pandemic. So it is likely that we will see more measures of this nature. Um, AB 255 uh, will be a bill that we continue to monitor. As I said, more substantive language is added and it will be part of our legislative priorities in 2021. That's it for this week. Back to you, Dustin. All right. Thanks, Susan. All right. Let's get into the conversation. I want to welcome in Gary Bechtel. Gary Bechtel is the CEO at Red Oak Capital. Gary also serves on our board of directors, and he's also going to be the uh, chair of this year's Western States Prep Conference, which is going to be 
September, let's see, I've got the date here. It's going to be September 8th through the 10th. And it's going to be actually, we're planning at this point for it to be in person at the Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. So make sure if you're in the uh, commercial sector, make sure mark down uh, September 8th through the 10th. And uh, you can actually register here and you, you'll be able to register here in another couple of weeks, it sounds like. But uh, uh, sponsorships are open right now. So if you want to get involved in the conference, you can certainly do that right now and uh, definitely bookmark that date. So Gary, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Dustin. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. I know you've got sort of a, a unique story about how you got into the mortgage industry. So let's, uh, let's you know, tell us about your background, how you got into the industry, and how you wound up at uh, where you are now at Red Oak Capital. Yeah. yeah, sure. So I got in the business in 1986. I've been in the business since my 35th year, so clearly I've gotten for punishment. Um, been through a number of cycles, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I got into it and started out as a mortgage banker. I, uh, I came from a completely different industry. I was in the marine industry, not the marines, but um, I, I did a lot of competitive yacht racing in my youth. So, and I was sailing with a lot of guys, you know, back in the day that were in the real estate space, whether they were commercial, residential, development, finance, et cetera. So I saw how successful they were and I'm like, I can do this. So uh, I, I got in, uh, my first job was I was a, a loan originator at uh, the Allison Company, which is a Southern California-based uh, mortgage banker representing a number of life insurance companies. So that's how I started in the business. And you know, over my career, I probably spent equal amounts of time either on the mortgage banking side, either actually originating loans or you know, later in my career, um, and then I got in the lending side you know, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago at least, um, and I've kind of split my time equally between, you know, originating and, and running either mortgage banking platforms or um, uh, lending platforms, which is what I've kind of focused on really the last uh, kind of 15 to 18 years um, at, at a few different shops. So, but that's how I got into the business. I got in as a mortgage banker representing life insurance companies, um, even back then. Um, probably starting in the 90s, I was involved with, with CNBA. So, you know, the Western states that you mentioned is near and dear to my heart. I think I've, I've only missed one. Um, so it's, it's always been fun. So it's a pleasure to be on the board of CNBA, um, California Mortgage Banks Association, and, and then this year to, to be chair of that event because uh, it holds a special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tough to see that uh, see us go uh, virtual last year. I know, I mean, the event seemed to go uh, pretty well, but I mean, you know, for anyone that's been to that conference, it is such a a unique experience to be in person and you know be able to shake hands and and visit people that uh, you know you maybe only see once or twice a year. So it's definitely uh, definitely something that works better in person than virtual. So we're looking forward to a good event this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I mean that's why we go to these, right? We go to to reconnect with people that we may only see once or twice a year. Maybe we see them at, at Big MBA and then we see them at, at California Mortgage Bankers Association. So, you know, that's the reason to go is to reconnect uh, um, for people that we haven't seen, even though we're competing against one another or, you know, or dealing with one another, um, depending on what side of the table we're, you know, sitting on at that point in time, right? Um, but yeah, it's all about being, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully having an in-person event this year and, and reconnecting with people that, you know, we weren't able to do in 2020. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and it's funny too, you mentioned the, uh, you know, getting started with the Allison Company. You know, it's not necessarily a name uh, name brand in the mortgage industry these days that uh, you hear about all the time. It's not in the news all the time, but sure. you know, it's amazing to me how many folks in the industry on the commercial side can trace their, you know, their lineage in the industry back to the Allison Company. It's, it's fascinating. To me. 
Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, there's and a lot of those guys are still in the business today. I know, um, you know, it, it's a it's a unique uh, fraternity, right? There's a lot of guys that are still in the business at different mortgage banking shops or in, or in lending shops that got their start at the Allison Company, you know, representing travelers and manufacturers life and and others. So it was a great training ground. It, it again, it helped me in my career. I I, I barely knew enough to be dangerous um, when I got into the business and and worked for Allison in an office that they. Uh, just opened down in San Diego. Um, so, but you're absolutely correct. There's a lot of guys that trace their um, they trace their careers back to the Allison Company. In fact, David Christensen, who works for us now up in San Francisco, um, that was his first job, and that's where I met him. And you know, here we are, 35 plus years later, um, and um, you know, we're both Allison alum. So, yeah, there's a lot of guys that can 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 trace their, their beginnings back to the Allison Company. Great company. And uh, Nick Madigan and Carl Fuller and, and Jim Deal and those guys still run a great shop. Yeah, yeah, it definitely speaks well for for them that there is such a successful, you know, as you put it, an alum group that uh, you know uh, can trace their their lineage back yep. there. So let's let's fast forward to uh, the, you know sure. current uh, current day here in 2021. Um, what do you see as the what's your take on the current state of the market and what trends do you see you know that sort of dominating this year ahead that we just started? Well, I mean, clearly COVID dominated 2020, right? And it's had a, a continuing effect on the business. It's continuing into this year. And a lot of that is driven by governmental actions, you know, depending on the state that you're located within, but in California specifically, right? I mean, we've been under lockdown or, or semi-lockdowns, you know, pretty much since the middle of, uh, of uh, what, third week of March, I think we started. Yeah. Um, so that's had a pretty dramatic impact on the business overall is, you know, a lot of uh, businesses haven't been able to stay open. A lot of, um, you know, shopping centers or office buildings have been, hospitality especially, have been severely impacted by the effects of COVID. They, they can't operate their businesses. People aren't traveling to, to hotels. They can't go to the office or don't want to go to the office. So, you know, COVID continues to have a lingering effect uh, in the market. Um, you know, and what you see, what you've seen and what you always see Again, I've probably been through seven or eight cycles, you know, during my career. What you always see is a contraction of the traditional lending sources, right? So the, the life companies, the banks, the CMBS lenders, the credit unions, et cetera, generally will contract. Either they'll exit the market entirely or they'll contract, um, you know, when there's dislocation and that's being kind. So whether it's the Great Recession of 08 to 10, whether it's dot-com bust, whether it's long-term you know, the Russian debt crisis back in the 90s, whatever the event is that, that causes this dislocation, you generally will see a contraction in the in the more traditional lenders, um, uh, either exiting the market entirely or just reducing the, the loan to values that they'll, they'll provide, the people that they will actually provide capital to, uh, et cetera. So now that's good news, bad news, right? So that's, that's bad news for traditional bank borrowers or credit unions or, or life companies, right? Because they're gonna get much more conservative than they already were. Uh, and, and they're generally pretty conservative in nature anyway, especially the life companies. Um, what that does is opens up uh, voids that are filled by non-bank lenders, um, such as Red Oak Capital, right? So we are a non-bank lender, right? Where we, we raise capital through the sale of um, securities in, in different SEC, uh, regulated offerings, and then we deploy that money in in bridge loans, one to two to maybe three-year loans. Um, and so, as painful as COVID has been, 
um, it's actually been good for the non-bank you know, lending part of the business because um, we're able to come in and fill a void that the banks and other traditional lenders have vacated from or, or cut back on. Um, so for us, uh, and I think this is shared by a lot of the other non-bank lenders that are in the space that, you know, that I'm in contact with, you know, as painful as COVID was and continues to be, it's actually been beneficial for our particular space within the market. Um, but that's not going to last forever, right? I, I'm very hopeful that, you know, by by the time um, Western states rolls around, that, you know, we've kind of got that behind us, that the economy is on the road to recovery, that, you know, vaccinations have, you know, have uh, kind of kicked in and, and people are now willing to open up states, open up businesses, finish their projects, because a lot of states, you haven't been able to work on site if you've got a, a renovation project, et cetera, right? Um, are traveling again, so the hospitality sector starts to recover. But, um, you know, it, it and, and so when that happens, as it's always happens, right, the banks will return, the credit unions will return, the life companies will get slightly more aggressive. So it, it always goes in cycles, right? But, you know, again, in, in bad times, traditional lenders contract and, and uh, non-bank lenders are able to come in and fill the void. And when the market recovers, it flips around. Yeah. So do you see, I mean, but I think, when this airs, it'll be, you know, about a uh, um, little little less than a week since uh, California you know, started reopening. Do you see that being sort of a, a harbinger of things to come? I mean, will things really start picking up now? I mean, it's not a full opening, obviously. We're still you know, somewhat locked down, but these things are starting to you know ease a little bit do you see that having a, a good impact good impact on the market absolutely I, there is so much pent-up demand for people to get out and go to restaurants go back to shopping i mean look our uh, you know want to interact with other people generally speaking and and covid given the lockdowns and the and the fear of becoming infected you know just walking outside i mean i can't tell how many people i've seen by themselves in their car, windows rolled up, mask on, double mask on, right? I mean, there's definitely that. So it's going to take a while to change people's behavior. But I think generally speaking, people really want to get out. And so when you start to see reopenings, whether it's in California or other states, um, I think the, the people will get out and, and want to get back to shopping, get, want to get back to a quote unquote normal life that we had pre-COVID. And, so whether that's back to that or what you know what they call we'll see but i think as soon as these lockdowns start to be eased depending on the degree of, of which they are eased you're going to see people really come back whether it's in the retail space the hospitality space the office space um etc so yeah i'm i am looking forward to that believe me i mean i i'm a bit of an anomaly that's in that i do i still do a fair bit of traveling for work you know i'm generally on the road couple weeks out of each month. So I'm on an airplane in some other city a lot. So for me, it hasn't really changed, um, you know, my behavior relative to how I do business. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's changed it dramatically, you know, whether they've been unfortunate enough to lose their job or, or have their businesses impacted. Um, so for me, it hasn't been a big change, but I know it's been a big change for a lot of people. So I, I'm looking forward to the day that we can get back to a quote unquote normal life again. Uh, and get back out and interact with one another. And, and again, that's why I'm looking forward to Western States so I can actually, you know, say, uh, shake somebody's hand and, and give them a hug and look at them face to face versus on, you know, Zoom calls. I think we're all getting tired of those. Go, oh, amen to that. So yeah, well, hopefully eventually things open a little bit, but you're going to miss the, uh, you know, empty airplanes and having, you know, extra seating and all that. You know, you're going to you're going to miss that. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. I'll tell you. 
yeah, different airlines are have handled it differently, uh, and I fly a ton of them just given where I'm going in the country. Um, so Delta and Southwest, right? They're still not selling center seats, um, and they don't sell the opposite seat if you're up in first class. Um, United, American, pack them. Um, so it's it's been interesting. Um, I mean, I I can't tell you. I've probably seen half a dozen times as I've been on on flights, people in full hazmat suits with you know face shields and masks and booties and gloves and the whole thing. Okay, I mean everybody's you know got their. I mean to to me, if you're, if you're that freaked out, you know maybe you shouldn't be flying. But I mean you you in a lot of cases you have to fly, right? Um, sure. Maybe I'm just used to it and, and don't take it as seriously as I should. But um, yeah, it, it has been different flying in different parts of the country on these different airlines because they're all treating it a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, let's. Uh, I've got a question for you. So I'm always curious to hear what uh, sort of the the C-suite folks think about uh, think about this. So what, as you go into this year in particular, what indices, what indicators, what market numbers, what data are you looking at? I mean, there's so much out there that you can sort of get, you know, you can get overwhelmed and lost in the data. But what, you know, is the yeah. you know, CEO? What are you looking at uh, in particular? You know, it's kind of um, you know. Let's just focus on California, right? I mean. We really look when when we go in to look at an opportunity, it, it's asset class by asset class and really market almost submarket specific. So we'll do a relatively deep dive to see what's going on in that asset class in that market. You know the overall asset class, right? What's going on in retail? What what's going on with the rental rates and the vacancy rates and the capitalization rates? You know from a from a valuation standpoint, a cash flow standpoint, but you also have to look at Again, staying on retail, and we're still looking at retail, by the way, um, on a select basis and on clearly a more conservative basis than, than we would have pre-COVID. Um, but, you know, what's going on with population growth? What's going on with income growth or lack thereof? Um, you know, what's going on with the, with the makeup of the population as far as is it renters, is it homeowners, et cetera? So, and so whether it's Retail, whether it's office, you know, look, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be an owner, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's outside of our size range, so we're, it, it's not really applicable to us. Um, but a lender on CBD office, right, to lend in, there, you know, some of the major markets, given the fact that people aren't coming into the office and probably won't be coming into the office for a while, you know, those are asset classes that are going to be fundamentally changed. Um, I think retail will, will actually rebound pretty quickly. I think hospitality clearly is going to take a lot longer for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but office is going to be fundamentally changed, right? You're going to have um, less people coming into the office. You're probably going to have to have more space per employee, uh, given social distancing, you know, whether it's required or whether it's just, you know, employees want it to feel comfortable to come back to the, to the office uh, workplace. Um, I think that's why there's absolutely a lot of opportunity in the suburban office because it's it's closer to people's where people live, um, so they could go to an executive suite if they didn't want to work from home, or they could go to a, a, a remote office that their company might set up, train um, or mass transit to to get to work, right? Which you know you're gonna have to interact with a bunch more people. Which again, some people are fine with it, like me, others not so much. So. You know, I think it's just going to be kind of asset class by asset class, market by market, Dustin. Um, and again, um, I know we do it and, and, and most lenders do. You just have to get very granular and understand what's going on in that asset class, in that market um, before you jump in. Because it's easy to lend money. It's not necessarily as easy to get it back. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get specific then a little bit. What What do you see as being the uh, maybe the hottest uh, asset class or, or uh, product this year? You know, that's really easy. It, it, it's got to be multifamily and industrial. They're clearly the darlings of the of the lending and, and probably acquisition community. Um, you know, industrial really has become the new multifamily. Um, you, you still have other asset classes that are in favor. Storage, manufactured housing, for for example, are still and we. You know, I'd love to do more. Um, I think those are those are still pretty hot. Um, but industrial and multifamily are probably the two top asset classes that I think lenders would prefer to lend upon, and and uh, people that are acquiring property probably would want to acquire. Um, clearly, retail has had its issues and will continue to have its issues. Hospitality is probably going to be a longer road, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, industrial and multifamily I think are probably the top two. Um, sought after asset classes in, in today's world. Okay, and then what about uh, you know, geography? What's what do you see as being one of the you know hotter markets? Um, you know, within California or just nationwide? Uh, maybe both. Maybe what you know hottest you see in California, and then maybe hottest nationwide. Yeah, so in California, right? I think you've seen um, you know the larger markets clearly because they have the highest populations or the most dense populations. You know, it's, it's probably a better a better bet to, to lend on an industrial deal or a multifamily transaction, for, except, for example, in, you know, L.A. County or San Francisco in the denser communities. Now, you have to, again, pick your spots, pick the asset class, and, and again, look at the dynamics of what's going on within the market that that asset is located within. But we've seen a lot of great opportunities, um, you know, outside of California and other states. Um, you know, Texas still is pretty hot, um, especially cities like Austin and, and, and Dallas. Um, Nashville is on fire. Um, the Carolinas, especially Charlotte, are still very, very active. Atlanta uh, and Georgia is pretty good, um, you know, to name a few. So, you know, they're they're what I'll call major markets, but they're not, you know, they're not a New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco. They're not, you know, these huge MSAs, you know, top 10 MSAs, but they're got great fundamentals. You've got a lot of population uh, in migration, a lot of them from California, unfortunately. Um, that are moving to, you know, Arizona, Phoenix specifically. They're moving to Texas, typically Austin. Um, that are moving to Tennessee, typically Nashville. Um, they're moving to the Carolinas, typically Charlotte, um, Raleigh, Durham. So, you know, there are some great markets that aren't, you know, top ten, but they've got great market fundamentals uh, in most asset classes um, and are attractive to us and, and other lenders that are looking at that. Look, so. Because of the sizes that some lenders will put out, you know, where they're only whatever 50 or 100 million dollars and greater, they have to go to the CBDs. They have to be in those, and so their opportunities are because of the size of those markets. There's a lot of opportunities, but you got to get into then the fundamentals of what's going on in office, what's going on in hospitality, you know, et cetera. So, I think to a lot of people, there's a lot of opportunities in these quote unquote smaller markets, like in Nashville, like in Austin. And those aren't small markets, by the way, but they're smaller than, you know, a midtown Manhattan or a downtown LA. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, question for you. Um, I, I mean, if you read the headlines, you know, particularly on uh, retail spaces, you know, one of the you know themes of the last year or so has been that, you know, yeah, I mean, retail is, you know, taken in the shorts right now, but it's essentially just, you know, aggravating or accelerating a trend that was already there pre-pandemic. It seems like you've got a little bit more of a, 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 a little more positive outlook on uh, the future of retail. Why? 
Um, you know, and you're absolutely correct in that retail was already experiencing issues prior to COVID, um, as was hospitality. And, and those issues have only been exasperated by COVID for a bunch of different reasons, the biggest of which is state lockdowns um, or restrictions that people either couldn't go shopping um, or, or they were doing all their shopping online, which, by the way, is what's helped the fuel the industrial space is all the online shopping. But again, I think in certain areas where they weren't as restrictive, you've still had people, you know, being able to go out and shop, uh, being able to go to restaurants, you know, Texas, right? Florida, I was in Florida three weeks ago, uh, down in Miami and South Beach, it was wide open. You wouldn't have known anything was going on. Restaurants were full, people were walking down the, you know, the, the boardwalks, et cetera. So, you know, um, I, I think it's, it, again, it's kind of market by market, but I am bullish. Um, on retail in the right areas with the right story. I mean, we recently landed last year on an anchor shopping center in uh, Roswell, Georgia. Great story, right? The, the, the borrower had owned it for an extended period of time. They had the perfect storm where they had lost tenants during COVID, um, but they actually re-let the space. And so they needed money for TIs and, and leasing commissions to, to get those tenants into the space. Um, but they had loan maturing. So they were, instead of being able to, to just roll into a permanent loan um, because they were still in lease up, they needed a bridge loan. So it was a great story for us. There was a lot of value creation within the, the lease up play. So you, you just, I, I am relatively bullish on retail in the right circumstances, in the right markets, with the right sponsor, with the right tenancy, right? Would you wanna be a mall owner or a mall lender? I wouldn't, right? Um, but if you're talking about neighborhood centers or big strip centers that are quote unquote Amazon proof, I think there's some great opportunities in those centers, especially in markets where you've got like Roswell, you know, it's a suburb of, of Atlanta, it's relatively affluent. It was a good story, it was a good sponsor, and it was something that we could get comfortable with and structure through. Um, so you, there, those opportunities will present themselves and we continue to see them and, and continue to look at them. Um, but yeah, there's certain asset, certain parts of the retail stack, i.e. malls, right, and outlet centers that are very problematic for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but I think neighborhood centers and, and strip centers where, you know, they are quote unquote Amazon proof to a large degree, you know, even the ones that have been sh impacted by COVID, I think once they open up and they're, you know, the, the restrictions are lifted depending on the state that they're, that they're located within, they're going to get back, they're going to recover pretty quickly. Um, so again, you, it's, Deal by deal, market by market, you, you just got to do your homework. Yeah, well, and I think it's good uh, good example here of why uh, you should go beyond the headline and uh, get the more realistic, uh, uh, complicated at times view of an issue. Uh, you certainly well, make a good point there. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of negative news out there, right? I mean, you know, on, on almost every asset class, but um, I don't think you can paint a broad brush that retail is bad, hospitality is bad, you know, multifamily is bad. I mean, there's there are pockets uh, where it does make sense. Um, you know, would I look at a hospitality deal today? Sure. Low leverage, conservative, for sure. You know, it's got to be a good flag. It's got to be a good sponsor. Um, but again, like retail, there's good opportunities out there um, that that we should be, you know, that we should be looking at, um, and we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot. And well, and as you you know pointed out, I mean, you've got you know 50 states that had each had their own you know COVID response, and they've each got their own 
you know, lockdown, anti-lockdown, you know, you know, opening up uh, strategies. Yeah. And then even within the states, you've got region by region and city by city, county by county, different uh, setups. And that's, you know, certainly affected the market, I'm sure. You know, it, it's crazy, right? You're absolutely correct. Even in California, I mean, there's been a number of cities that have thumbed their nose at the, at the lockdown restrictions that Newsom put in place. I, I, two weeks ago, I, I had a dinner in Costa Mesa and I figured, you know, I mean, because outside dining had been, you know, essentially shut down, right? Right. Costa Mesa, right on 17th Street, full inside, full outside. I'm like, wait a minute, right? But what you're having is, and I heard the same thing about Data Point, for example, is the government's just, they, they weren't enforcing the lockdowns. They were letting the businesses stay open because they made the decision that we'd rather let the businesses stay open, and I guess deal with a potential COVID fallout versus having those businesses go away and, and you know and losing employment and tax base, et cetera. Yeah, and then probably still have to deal with the COVID fallout anyway. Um, so speaking of government, you know, from your perspective, do you think that you know government actions, I mean, we've got a new administration now, um, uh, but certainly here in California, it's still the same administration, but do you see in 2021, the government actions or market forces having a bigger impact on you know, the health of the market this year? You know, I still think it's going to be government related, right? I still think you're going to have to deal with uh, governmental actions, whether it's on a state level, city level, or federal level. So that's going to have a bigger impact to me um, on the ability to reopen, the ability to get back to work, whether that's in offices or, or what have you. So, yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is it's going to be more governmental related than it is market. Because I think once the, the governments, whether, again, whether that's city, state, or federal, um, allow businesses, allow communities to open up, the people will come back. Now, it's going to take a while to change the behavior of people, you know, because we've been so conditioned, unfortunately, over the last, call it, year to be afraid, right? Um, and so that's, you're going to have to change people's behaviors. Um, but I think that will come relatively quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm an internal optimist. I, I really am. I mean, it's, it helps me get through the down cycles of, of this business. Um, but I think once those restrictions are lifted, it's going to return relatively quickly. I think, again, as I said before, I think people want to get out. People want to interact with other people. People want to, you know, go to, you know, the shopping centers and the restaurants and, and what have you and, and interact with other people. I do. I, just speaking from me, you know, my personal viewpoint. Well, we are we are social animals in the end. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Myself, I'm, I'm a bit of a uh, introvert, but. I've certainly felt it this last year, you know, and uh, so if I'm feeling it, then certainly, you know, the extroverts out there are, are, have to be just going crazy. Uh, well, so let, so let me in that latter category, yeah. But, but see, I get my fix because I travel so much. And, and so I do have the ability to interact with people, clearly on a different level, right? Um, you know, with, with masks and social distancing and all the things that we need to do to, to try to keep ourselves and, and others around us as safe as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a people person. I love being around people and, and having all that interaction that goes on. It kills me not to be able to, you know, shake somebody's hand or, or if I know them, give them a hug. Um, maybe if I don't even know them, I'll give them a hug. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to a you know, quote, quote unquote more normal life. Well, hey, another good pitch there for Western States Cref in uh, September. Hopefully we get the chance to do all that then. For sure. Um, so, you know, switching gears here a bit, you know, as someone who's, you know, uh, built and helped build several successful companies in the industry, what yeah. advice would you have uh, for someone that's jumping in the market? 
um, you know, jumping into the market to get into this business or jumping into the market to, to open or expand a business um, in today's environment? Yeah, I mean, either one. I'll, I'll let you take your pick on that. You know, look, this business has been very good to me and my family. I'm, I've had a, a very blessed career. I've, I've been able to, you know, do pretty well. I've been able to be uh, part of, of uh, running and building and expanding a number of companies with a ton of great people. Um, so that's very gratifying because, uh, you know, a lot of people I've worked with over the years, I'm, I'm still friends with today, you know, from 35 years ago. I mean, those are great relationships and, um, you know, and things that friendships that you'll, you know, you'll have until you get out of the business and you'll have them even after that. Right. Um, so look, my advice, if you're, let's just focus on building or rebuilding a business, which, you know, which I've done the last three shops that I've been at. You know, over the last call of 15 years, um, you got to hire right, right? You got to hire people that have the the, the right mindset, the right skill sets, um, that they're accretive to your business and, and can help you get to the next level. Um, and but you've got to create the right culture, and that again gets back to people. So to me, um, it's hiring right. That's where it starts, and then instituting and and um, you know, keeping going as you as you expand those businesses, keep that culture that you had when you were small as you get bigger. You know, I was fortunate in the, the shop that I was at uh, prior to joining Red Oak Money 360. I mean, we took that platform from um, really nothing. I mean, we were I would think I was employee six or seven um, and we grew that platform from about 20 million dollars in volume when I got there. Uh, five years later, pre-COVID, we were up to 39 employees, and we'd done over a billion eight of, of funded loans, uh, and had 850 million of AUM, I think. So, but we couldn't have done that without hiring the right people in their various roles, whether they were originators, whether they were underwriters, whether they were processors or closers or capital markets people or asset management people. Right? We made the decision early on that we wanted to hire just experienced people; that it was nobody's first rodeo. Um, now that said, we did hire junior people that were able to work their way up through the business and learn the business like I was fortunate to do under somebody else's tutelage. Um, but I think, I think these businesses, you got to have a good business plan, but you're not going to be able to implement that business plan successfully, Dustin, without the right people. And so that it's incumbent upon whoever it is, um, in, in whatever business you're in, whether it's, um, you know, the commercial real estate lending space, mortgage banking space, residential space, et cetera, hire right, uh, hire the right people for the right role and you will be successful. So long as you can keep the, the culture in place and that's, and that's the challenge as you get bigger and bigger, um, you know, is keeping that culture in place. But, um, you know, I've been really lucky. Again, I've hired great people. I've worked with great people. I'm still friends with a lot of the guys that I work with, you know, early in my career. Um, and so, you know, those relationships are invaluable as you build businesses and expand businesses because you can pick up the phone and either get somebody to help you or come to work for you or be on your board or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's a people business. You know, it always has been. It always will be. I mean, when I got into the business, somebody helped me. Right. And, and helped me along. And that's kind of where I'm at now as I get to the later part of my career. Um, is to try to give back to the the both the employees that we hire um, that are typically younger than me, uh, and, and the new people that are trying to get into the business, um, and you help them help them through like I was helped through you know when I was you know a year or two in the business. So 
people is uh, is a is a short answer to to uh, to your question. Yeah, well, and you talk about culture there. I mean, and it's you know, it, I'm curious to know. I mean, obviously, you you've mentioned a couple of times you know the amount of travel you've done this year, but I'm assuming the rest of the company is has not done the same amount of travel. How have you no. kept the, that culture together during this pandemic? I mean, what you know, any so strategies or success stories you've got? Yeah, great, great question. No, you know, it is challenging. It is challenging not being in the same office with with people. I mean, we've got you know, whether it's our production people or our, our back office people, you know, they're spread all over the place. Um, now we are in the process of opening another office. I, I'm This week I'm in beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan with snow outside, because uh, this is our corporate office and we this is where we started and we've got a back office here. Now we're in the process of, of opening an office and staffing it in uh, in Southern California and, and the Irvine Spectrum um, to, to um, Provide additional processing and origination capabilities as we as we expand the Red Oak platform. Um, but um, uh, you know, I kind of lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. Um, what was it? What was the question again? Yeah, so yeah, the culture during the pandemic. How have you guys? Yeah. You know, kept, have you guys kept it together? Not yeah, being sorry, the same. Sorry. Yeah, it's you know, it's a lot of Zoom calls, right? It's a lot on the phone. Um, but you know, again, I think that gets back to the people. Right. If you've got good people and you don't have to hold a lot of people's hand, which is you know one of the advantages of hiring experienced people, you don't have to you know worry about you know riding herd on somebody to 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 get their work done. Um, but look, it's it's a lot easier when we're able to be together, um, and that's why I do so much traveling. Whether I'm whether I'm visiting our our Grand Rapids office, whether I'm on the road with with our origination personnel on the origination side of the business, at least, you know, those companies that we could interact with um, that don't have restrictions on their employees interacting with outside parties, um, you know, or whether it's the capital market side of our business, you know, in, interacting with the people that we raise capital from all over the country. Um, it is it is difficult. Um, and you can only do so much in Zoom because, again, it's a people business. You want to be in front of people. You want to interact with people. And you, you really, it's it's more difficult to do that on a, on a Zoom call or a WebEx call or what have you than it is in person. Um, so it is harder to maintain that culture. It is harder to maintain those relationships remotely. Um, but again, I think that gets back to the people that you hire and and knowing, you know, who you're dealing with and, and what they're made of, right? Um, and we'll get back to, to being together soon. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All, All right, right, so we've got... Most, most of our workforce is remote currently, um, whether they're on the origination side or the or, or the underwriting side. Um, so most of those guys are remote, um, and I, I think you know we'll we'll still allow them to work remote based on how comfortable they are being back in an office environment. You know we're not going to force anything down anybody's throat. Um, you know my thing is as long as you get your work done, as long as we're continuing to be productive, which we are. Feel free to work remote. We had the same uh, we had the same strategy at Money 360, by the way, when COVID hit, um, and I was still there. We allowed people to work remote, um, and then when we when we reopened the office, we gave them the election of you can either come in or you can continue to work remote, so long as their work is getting done. And, and I think that's the right strategy. Again, these are unprecedented times that we've all lived through the last year, so I think you need to be cognizant of that with your employees. But if you've hired the right people. They're going to get their work done, whether they're working in an office or whether they're working remote. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of uh, C-suite folks are taking that same are going to take that same approach once the 
uh, restrictions lift. I don't think there's going to be a mad rush for everyone to come back in the office. So I think I don't think you, I don't think you can. I think you're going to have to stage people in. Again, you're going to have to stage people in for a bunch of different reasons. But I think the biggest is is to get them comfortable and, and to break down and change those behaviors that have been everybody's been conditioned upon over the last 12 months. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, so we've got time for one last question here, and uh, you know, I think this is a good one to tee up for you. Um, why, you know, talk for a minute about advocacy and the importance of advocacy, and why, especially you know, folks on the commercial side of the business uh, should care about the advocacy work that uh, groups like the California MBA and the MBA nationally yep. uh, um, take part in. Look, you know, if if it if COVID has proved anything, right, it has proved that governmental action, um, governmental you know legislation can have a dramatic impact on a business or or a sector of the business, right? And so uh, again, I've I've been part of California Mortgage Bankers almost since I got into this business. So it's always been, you know, something that's that that I've participated in and and found great benefit in being involved in, which is. You know why I'm on the board. Why I'm I'm the chairman of the of the Western States Conference. Um, but the mortgage banking community needs advocacy, right? We need representation in Sacramento, for example, and because um, there's a lot of bills that are that are either proposed or trying to be passed, they're going to have a detrimental effect on our business, whether it's on the residential side or the commercial side. Um, so without that advocacy, without you know Susan and 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 everybody involved in in um, in, in California mortgage bankers, you know, fighting for us, um, you know, they could pass legislation that could dramatically impact our business and, and have to a certain degree. I mean, there's been some, some things that I know California mortgage bankers has been successful in getting stopped that would have had a dramatic impact on the commercial real estate space, residential as well, but I'll have to speak specifically to commercial. Um, and without that involvement, without the, you know, the, the you guys up in, up in Sacramento, you know, pounding away at the legislators to uh, to get some of this stuff stopped, or at least get the the language softened slightly. Um, it could have really had a detrimental impact uh, on the commercial real estate business uh, in a number of different ways. Whether that was for commercial, excuse me, whether that was for for retail or or the restaurant industry or or other sectors. So, you know, without you know having that advocacy, without having those people walk in the halls of Sacramento and and pleading our case and and telling these guys why this is a bad idea. Have you really thought this thing through? Which clearly, in a lot of cases, they hadn't thought it through. Um, you know, they were reacting like politicians are prone to do. Unfortunately, um, it could have a really a, a judgmental impact on our business. So, I mean, that's why I'm. You know, we're a proponent. We're a member. We're active. I'm active. Um, and I think others, if they're not involved, they absolutely should be involved because you, you have to look at the long-term picture here, right? I mean. I've been in the business 35 years. It's been a great, it's been a great run. Um, but look, the guys that just are getting into the business now, we have to make sure that that they can be in the business for as long as I've been fortunate enough to be in this business and have a success without you know that industry being changed fundamentally by some governmental action that really wasn't thought through all the way. Right. Right. No, I agree. One, if you're interested in membership. Certainly, you can reach out to myself here or check out the uh, our membership page on our website for more details and information on that. Well, Gary, call me at oh, Paul. Gary, exactly. He'll tell you. I'll give you the you know my take on it as well because it's again it's been it's been great and it's been great to be involved and I continue to look forward to being involved and if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me as well. Happy to happy to help, Justin. Yeah. 
Well, we do we do appreciate your support, Gary, for sure. Well, and thanks for joining us on the on the podcast today. It was really good to catch up and uh, you know talk through uh, what's going on in the industry today. You as well. Thanks again for the opportunity, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon in person. In person, in person, absolutely. So yeah, if you enjoyed the uh, conversation here, make sure and you can uh, subscribe to us on our YouTube channel here, or you can uh, follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're in all those platforms as well. And we'll be back. We'll be back again next Monday for another episode of Connect. We'll see you then. <laughs>